you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 31, Day of the Daleks Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have... Paul Gann! Joe, quick, reverse the polarity. Yes, reverse the polarity of the neutron <laughs> flow. <laughs> uh, John Pertwee. Mr. Pertwee. Uh, hmm? How's it going, Paul? Pretty good. I'm starting to get my voice back, and, uh, you know, I'm not having quite as much uh, ick coming out of my throat, so, you know. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will not share that with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I will save that for Planet of the Daleks. <laughs> ick. Oh, dear. Uh. Anyways... Well, we are back, um, and finally, after a long time of uh, being off due to the new season of Doctor Who, or the previous season of it, due to new episodes being aired on BBC, um, we are finally back to doing our Dalek episode reviews. Uh, we are, of course, starting today with Day of the Daleks, which is John Pertwee's first run-in with the Daleks. Um, but before we jump into that, we really quick want to touch on a quick news thing. Uh, we talked a lot about, uh, last episode, about uh, Stephen Moffat leaving, uh, Chris Chibnall coming in, and the possibility of Peter Capaldi leaving along with Stephen Moffat at the end of Series 10. However, we did not tell you when Series 10 was going to be showing up. Um, you've probably already seen this on the internet, but we did want to address it here on the show. Series 10 will not be back on the airwaves until the Christmas special in Christmas of 2016, followed by the rest of Series 10 in Spring of 2017. While we Doctor Who fans are used to a long wait between series, mm -hmm. this, I think, is the longest we've ever had to wait. 
Yeah, this almost feels like a second hiatus. <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was the, the higher-ups at BBC that decided when to have it air. Uh, apparently, the reasoning behind that that they're at least telling us is because um, they don't want it having to compete against the likes of the European Championships and the Olympics which will, that will be airing in the second half of uh, this year on BBC. They want to have a big special event and get Doctor Who back in its original time sp- slot uh, over there on the BBC and uh, have it premiere in the spring. That's what they're telling us anyways. So all that means for us is that we will have a long time to wait before new episodes of Peter Capaldi as the Doctor on Doctor Who. Yeah, we won't be interrupted by any new seasons anytime soon. Which, on the one hand, is kind of nice because we'll get to run through a lot of these Dalek episodes. But on the other hand, is really disappointing because I like new episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it, and I don't want them to do it. <laughs> oh, Nardle. I love Nardle. Yeah. We need Nardle. <laughs> we need to have Nardle come back some way without can, just being ahead. He can be our third co-host. <laughs> yeah. On this episode of Talking Time Lords, we are talking about Day of the Daleks. I don't like the Daleks. They exterminate too much. (laughs) Affirmative. (laughs) Nardle and K9. Now that would be funny. Yeah. They're essentially the same character. I want to see that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. We can title it The Two Ten Dogs. Especially since Nardle now has a tin body. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can forget about Ramon. Um, <laughs> Let him be stuffy for a little while. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, before we, before we completely create a new episode on the spot, uh, we should probably go back to an episode that was aired way back in 1972. Insert obligatory spoiler warning here. Even though it's been out for so long. Um, Q River. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, this is, of course, Day of the Daleks, as we have said. And before we jump into our, our thoughts on the show... Uh, I do want to let you know that there are two versions of Day of the Daleks. There is the original uh, version as it was initially aired. And there is also the special edition version that was uh, touched up and redone a little bit for the DVD release. Um, we will be talking. party. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely. It's, it's, it's party. It definitely uh, adds <laughs> some stuff. Uh, there's some updated and additional special effects. There's a few extra shots in there. And uh, the Dalek voices are redubbed by... It actually makes it feel more like New Who, actually. Yeah. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into the differences and which is, uh, in our opinion, 
the better version um, at the end, well, as we go on. But we do want to let you know that we will be talking about both. I personally uh, watched for this discussion, I watched the special edition, Paul watched the special edition, and most of the original edition. Probably would have watched all of it, but work got in the way. Um, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> so, Paul? And, of course, I had to go file my taxes today, so... Oh, yeah. that's always fun. Well, you know, the, the results are going to be fun, so... <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, Paul, um, your general thoughts on Day of the Daleks before we get into the specifics... Um, I thought it was fun. Uh, I thought it was much more concise than some of the other stories that we've gotten, uh, especially stories like um, uh, the Daleks Master Plan. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as much as I liked the Daleks Master Plan, I thought it had uh, sections in it that could have been removed without affecting the story at all. You know, like um, Feast of Stephen. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, just, just some filler fluff kind of, you know, little bits and pieces here and there that just slowed the pacing down, that kind of thing. You know, like we, like I said before, as Doctor Who has matured over the years as a series, it has become less and less and less uh, like a radio show with pictures and more and more and more like an actual TV show, Hmm. you know, because uh, let's just be honest. When the first doctor came along, especially in season one, there was a lot of exposition, you know, a lot of uh, dialogue to explain and sometimes overly explain, you know, situations and things like that, that could have just as easily been done using the visual uh, medium. You know, mm-hmm. and so we're seeing more of that as time goes on. And stylistically, this one is much different, in my opinion, than the last two doctors uh, that we've seen. It is. This one is a lot more action packed uh, than than either of the other two were. Uh, it is more concise. It is uh, the shortest, I believe. Dalek, Dalek storyline so far. At only four episodes. I'm trying to remember if Evil of the Daleks or any of the other Second Doctor ones were four or six episodes. I would have to go back and look. I can't remember. Yeah. But it is definitely a, a shorter uh, story, which I think is to its benefit. Um, it forces it to be a little more concise and move at a bit of a faster pace. Uh, it is... Like I said, more action-packed, and that is also uh, in keeping in line with the the third Doctor. He is much yeah. more of a of an action-packed, you know, running around doing, you know, heroic things. The first uh, time the Doctor was an action hero, right? You know, right. Uh, you've likened him to James Bond before, and he just a little bit, you know. Yeah, he is Bond-esque in a sense at times, um, and and you do get to see that a little bit in this storyline as well. And I think this is when the doctor first started making uh, the best use of the one-liners and stuff too, you know, uh, because he's always had clever things to say and, and, uh, and uh, very intellectual things to say. But uh, 
I think that this more so than some of the others uh, is when you start to see him get that little mischievous twinkle in his eye sometimes uh, that, you know, he you kind of get the feeling sometimes he's playing with people. Right. More so than than in the past. Um, I, and I think this is uh, a good lead in even to the fourth doctor, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. As I said before, this episode was originally released in 1972 in the ninth season of Doctor Who. Um, let's go ahead and jump into the plot. It starts off with uh, Sir Reginald Stiles, who is the organizer of the Second World Peace Conference, uh, who is attempting to avoid World War Three. The the Chinese and the Russians are are showing that they're not not particularly interested in this, and he's trying to work out a way to get everybody to negotiate and calm down and avoid World War Three, And so he's going to have them here at his at his mansion in the countryside, this government house in the countryside called Otterly House. And he's there working late into the night, prepping for this. And all of a sudden, a guerrilla warrior of some sort in, in a military uniform bursts into his study... Gorilla, not gorilla. Yes, gorilla, not not gorilla, not not gorilla. Um, a gorilla. That will come later. <laughs> True. And attempts to assassinate Sir Reginald, but before he can complete that, just all of a sudden vanishes. In a ball of yellow light. Yes, in a ball of yellow light. And uh, <laughs> Sir Reginald is obviously very shaken. He doesn't know what's going on. And so Unit is summoned. <laughs> the Doctor is, of course, the, the the man for the job in this sort of situation. The Brigadier assigns the job to him. And when the Doctor arrives at Otterly House, Sir Reginald goes, Oh, it's nothing. I was It was late, and it was nothing, and... Yeah. There's nothing to this. I, I was imagining things. <laughs> the doctor's like, were you imagining these footprints as well? <laughs> <laughs> Are you calling me a liar, sir? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Sir Reginald was not happy at being challenged by the doctor. The doctor believes there's something actually going on. Uh, and so recommends to the brigadier that unit search the grounds. And Sir Reginald begrudgingly agrees to let them do this since he is leaving for Peking anyways. Uh, which I believe is Beijing now, um, if I remember correctly. Peking and Beijing are the same city, capital of China. Um, but in the 70s, it was still called Peking. Anyways, random useless trivia knowledge there for you. Um, the <laughs> the unit soldiers end up finding this guerrilla uh, soldier near a tunnel that goes under a bridge uh, on the property. And he's been knocked out. We, the audience, know he's been knocked out by uh, what we later find out are called Ogrons. which are the this... real gorilla fighters. Yes. They're, <laughs> they're these giant, hulking, tall, dim-witted, dim ape-looking aliens. Yeah. They really are, <laughs> like, seven-foot-tall gorillas with guns and high-tech weaponry 
They look like Bigfoot with clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> uh, and of course, when Unit finds this soldier who's been attacked and knocked out by these Ogrons, who have since disappeared into that tunnel, uh, they, of course, pick him up and they take him and they are transporting him to the hospital while the doctor investigates some of the technology that this soldier had on him, like his gun and this mysterious box. He deduces that the gun is actually from the 22nd century and that the box is a portable time travel device. But it doesn't work. No. And so he's <laughs> fiddling with it and messing with it. And something happens to it because then all of a sudden in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, Sergeant Benton sees this soldier just mysteriously vanish. Poof. Of course, the, do the doctor has no idea what's going on. He doesn't have any idea. And so it, it's now we're going, okay, what's going on? Why are these people here? <laughs> nice. And the doctor and Joe decide to stake out the place. Because they, the doctor anticipates that whoever is behind this assassination attempt will return, since they have failed. And so they do. Three guerrilla soldiers, guerrilla, not gorilla, um, <laughs> we're going to be doing this all night long, <laughs> arrive from the future via the tunnel. I have figured out what the Ogrons look like. What do the Ogrons look like? They look like... Bigfoot and a Klingon had a baby. That is exactly what they look like. <laughs> and it's not a pretty sight, folks. No, it's not. Um... <laughs> Imagine Harry from Harry and the Hendersons and, and, uh, and Commander Worf. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the three new soldiers uh, arrive and they, at under the cover of night, sneak into Otterly House and find the doctor uh, fiddling with the time travel device, which is now active. And on pain of, you know, shooting him, they want him to turn it off. And there's a difference uh, between the original shot here and the special edition shot because in the original, you barely can even tell where the box is in the room because the box is so full of – I mean the room is so full of stuff. And all you can hear is the hum of this thing running. And when the uh, in the special edition, when the, the soldier comes through the window, you can actually see the yellow orb of energy encircling this box. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very distinct uh, in the special edition as to where it is and exactly why it's making this noise and everything. You can tell that it's functioning at this point. Yeah, yeah it's much better. It is. It is. And uh, the unfortunate side effect of this box activating, this time travel box activating, is that it is being picked up by some scanners in the 22nd century. Yeah. And the people that are monitoring the scanners are working for the Daleks. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> and that's, of course, how the first episode ends. It's usually how these uh, these Dalek stories work, is yeah. the first episode is a bunch of setup, and at the very end of the first episode, we get our first view of a Dalek as it, you know, comes in or, you know, is revealed or whatever, and it's like, <gasps> oh my gosh, the Daleks, even though the episode is called Day of the Daleks, you know. But now Terry Nation wasn't even involved in this episode, right? No, and he's the creator of the Daleks for those who are yeah. confused. I don't even he wasn't even consulted, if I'm for not mistaken. That is that is one of the rumors about this. Um, yeah. Now the three soldiers from the future believe that the doctor is Sir Reginald Styles. Because it's mm-hmm. his house, and they want to assassinate him. They're preparing to kill him, and the doctor talks them down and says, "No, I'm not Styles. Styles isn't Peking. You've missed. You've made a mistake." So the doctor and Joe are bound and gagged and stuffed down into the cellar while the soldiers trying to figure out what to do next, um, <laughs> which is of course cut short slightly when the brigadier is trying attempts to call the doctor. And, of course, the doctor has gotten to answer the phone, and um, <laughs> the the doctor plays along with the soldiers, but slips mm-hmm. in a, dis- a duress code, you know. Oh, Brigadier, be sure to tell it to the Marines, which, of course, <laughs> brings the Brigadier down to Otterly House uh, immediately. During the ensuing conversation, Joe sees her opportunity and grabs the time travel device and threatens to destroy it. Uh, to try and gain the upper hand on these three soldiers. Unfortunately, it activates and sends her to the 22nd century. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. That was something that would happen to Rose in the new series. (laughs) It would happen to most of the companions. Um, I mean, Uh it's... There are there are just some <laughs> things that happen to companions in general. That is one of them. <laughs> they... Let's not even get started about Clara. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, now the Doctor is on this mission to try and find a way to get to the 22nd century to save Joe. Uh, Joe Grant. We ne- didn't really mention Joe uh, when we started. We have a new companion. Uh, yeah. For us to talk about Joe Grant, who is essentially a lab assistant that works for the doctor uh, at, at unit. And I we like can, Joe. Yeah, I thought Joe was cool. She's she's definitely um, a more innocent and naive mm-hmm. companion than some others. Uh, way Way more than Sarah Jane. Oh, yeah. Way more than Sarah Jane will be. She's incredibly trusting. She's sweet. She's yeah, she is sweet and um and is blonde and sometimes has blonde moments, to be perfectly honest. Uh <laughs> There was not... even one point in the in the story where she goes, "Doctor, aren't I the one that's supposed to be asking the questions?" <laughs> <laughs> She asks all the questions, so the doctor has to answer them. Right. <laughs> and oftentimes, they're good questions and the right questions. She's not unintelligent. Mm-mm. She's just very trusting and a bit naive, um, which is interesting. Uh, and, and we'll see that here momentarily. Yeah. And so, 
she gets transported to the 22nd century, ends up in this sort of command center, and the, uh, the controller questions her and tries to find out where she is and what's going on, and uh, she tells him everything. And he asks about the three guerrilla soldiers. She says, oh, yes, they came in and they tried to kill us and they were trying to kill uh, Reginald Stiles and all this stuff. And, of course, the controller is working directly for the Daleks. Uh, he's their puppet. Right. Did you notice and this, uh, did you notice any parallels between the controller and this and the one from Satellite 5? Satellite 5. Remind me where... From, oh! From uh, uh, Eccleston's season. Yeah. <laughs> huh. It, you mean Simon Pegg? Yes. Uh, it, 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 you know, looking at this episode and then seeing the Satellite 5 episodes, uh, it, it seems like that satellite, the Satellite 5 story was kind of a little bit of a callback uh, to this, almost. Um, in a sense, I suppose, but this is something that happens in Doctor Who, is there's sort of this, this in-between man that ends up, you know, that's being manipulated by the mm -hmm. Daleks or somebody else uh, that ends up initially dealing with the Doctor and the Companion, uh, whoever they are. And this seems to be one of those things that is a reoccurring thing in Doctor if Who. If I'm not mistaken, weren't they both called a controller? They were. Yeah. Um, but this sort of middleman-ish yeah. person uh, is definitely something that we see often in the series. Particularly in the classic series. Um, I think a little less so in the uh, the new series because we have less time and we need to deal directly with the main bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, but when they had some more time to take with these episodes, they had to have someone that they either had to overcome in order to get to the main bad guy or someone that they had to convert to their side in order to defeat the main bad guy. Of course, in this one, because it's a four-parter and and they are half-hour episodes, mm -hmm. the overall length of this four-parter would be the same as a two-parter in the new series. So yes. you kind of get a similar dynamic there as far as the, the pacing and things like that. Which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, no, the, the the pacing in this one was very was much better than what mm -hmm. it had been in the past. Um, but let's let's get back to the story. Uh, the the controller asks Joe the exact time and place of these gorillas and where they're at and everything. And he says, well, I will go and I will I will send someone to save your friend, the doctor. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, is not exactly <laughs> what we really want. The, then a, a couple of Ogrons are transported back in time and they begin attacking Otterly House. And the, the gorillas all scatter. Yeah. Uh, they have to find a way to, to get back and scatter, and they don't want to all be caught together. And the Doctor ends up trying to chase after them because he needs a way to get to the 22nd century and save Joe. Um, now, this is an interesting part in the, the story in my mind because yes. we actually get to see the Doctor do some stuff that's not quite 
doctorish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah. During the the escape from the house, because uh, a pair of the of the soldiers make for the tunnel, and the doctor is trying to go after them, but he gets delayed by an ogron breaking into the study. Yeah. And ends up getting a hold of the ogron's gun. As he's backing out of the room, he shoots the ogron. Completely unprovoked. Almost completely unprovoked. <laughs> I mean, the ogron's getting back up and is going to come and try and get him again, so let's be fair. But, well, however, he wasn't in direct peril, though. Let me put it that way. Right. Now, however... <laughs> He then proceeds to run down the, you know, the path outside to try and get after these these soldiers. Rounds a corner, and there's a couple more ogrons, and he takes the first shot. Completely unprovoked. Yes. <laughs> we don't see the doctor use guns very much, and if he uses guns, especially in the new series, it's it's a big dramatic thing. Mm-hmm. But this was very much, you know, like. Like James Bond grabbing one of the bad, one of the you know the thugs' weapons and using it against the rest of the, you know, the thugs that were sent after him. It, this was very much a James Bond esque type of thing, and it seemed a little out of place for the Doctor. Well, I mean, this you know this is also when the Brigadier shows up and the Brigadier fills the third Ogron full of holes with a machine gun, and right. you know that is very. Uh, that is very much what the brigadier would do. That is not what mm-hmm. the doctor would do. Correct. You know, and you even hear the doctor uh, be proud of the fact uh, in a later episode, not in this story, but in, in one that's coming up, proud of the fact that he considers himself to be a pacifist, mm-hmm. you know. And so you see all, a, a pretty clear contradiction in you know, who the doctor is here versus who the doctor is, you know, just a few stories later, you know? Yeah. Um, and the way that, the way that I could rationalize it if I wanted mm-hmm. to is this, at this point, the doctor is still in exile on earth. He doesn't have right. his, for those of you who don't know, the third doctor was caused to regenerate because the time Lords exiled him to earth and they took part of his memory that contained the part of how to operate the TARDIS so that he can't use his TARDIS to leave. So this is a problem because he can't use the TARDIS to travel back in time to save, or to travel forward in time, excuse me, to save Joe. So he has to get to these gorillas who have the time travel technology. Right. But they've already taken off and he's already way behind them and he needs to rescue Joe. And so... Mm -hmm the way that I could rationalize that is all he's thinking about is these ogrons are just getting in the way and I have to get them out of the way so I can get to these soldiers and get back to the, to the oh. 22nd century and rescue Joe. To me, this felt uh, a little bit like this particular scene, I should say felt a little bit like what we saw the doctor doing in uh, the season finale of this past season, season nine, mm-hmm. uh, where he get, literally just picks up a gun and shoots somebody, you know, uh, the difference being he was at least sort of conscious of the fact that 
there were not going to be quite as serious uh, ramifications in season nine with this character. Uh, with the Ogrons, though, in this in this story, it almost felt like that there was almost no thought put into it. It was just a reaction, and then afterwards, it was almost like he just forgot about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and to me, that is probably the most non-doctor-like thing that I've seen a doctor do to this point, you know. Yeah. It is, it is definitely an interesting thing. Moving on, the Doctor is able to track the, the gorillas back to this tunnel, which is a, a stable point between the 20th century and the 22nd century, in that the tunnel is there in both time zones, and they can use it as a point, uh, as, a, as a you know jumping-off point to transport themselves back and forth through time. Well, I guess it would be better than having to worry about ending up in a wall or something yeah <laughs> that wouldn't be too good no <laughs> but of course the doctor runs into the tunnel and runs basically right into a dalek who's materializing from the future yeah so he takes off through the tunnel systems away from the dalek and basically runs right into anat and boaz who are the two uh, gorillas that he has been chasing and manages to almost essentially just grab a hold of them while they're transporting themselves back into the future. Now, a little less, you know, comical than that, but essentially. Did you um, catch the irony of how old-fashioned those names are for people that are supposed to be from the future? They're very biblical. Yeah. Like Old Testament biblical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Uh, interesting choice. Yeah. It is kind of funny. Once in the future, the Doctor has to convince these guerrilla soldiers that the Daleks are his enemies. And all he is here for is finding Joe. Unfortunately, before he can really fully convince them, you know, of course, the Daleks and the Ogrons show up and they're all forced to scatter. <laughs> the Doctor gets separated because that's what happens. Um, <laughs> You can't have a story without the Doctor and his companions getting separated, right? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, Unle uh, well, unless you're talking about sleep no more, you know. <laughs> anyway. Back at Dalek HQ, the controller, you know, is being berated for not capturing the rebels. And he says, well, they had some help from this man called the doctor and the Daleks go, oh, you know, the doctor. Oh no. You know, of course, obviously not that dramatic. They're not going to gasp. I would love to see a Dalek go. Oh. <laughs> I wonder what that would look like. Especially with the body, you know, reaction and everything, you know, throwing your hands back and, you know, uh, gasp. Like, like something out of Pee-wee's Playhouse, you know. <laughs> of course, the Doctor is a name of a, their longtime enemy, and they have to exterminate him, blah, blah, exterminate. Yeah. Uh, and he, the controller, is ordered <laughs> to capture and exterminate the Doctor. The Doctor manages to infiltrate one of the 
factories that the Daleks have set up in the 22nd century, uh, where workers are being, you know, pushed to the breaking point, basically. They're, they're being worked to death, literally. And we even hear that referenced uh, in this story, you know. Uh, yeah. He tells the control, one of the Daleks tells the controller um, that the production is too far down, that they need to increase production. And the controller says, well, we'll, we'll meet production next time. And he says, production next time will be increased by 10%. And he says, are you crazy? We can't do that. The people will die. And he's like, only the weak ones will die. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. well, all righty then. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the Daleks are like, only the weak ones will die. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Daleks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, basically acting like that they're just trash, you know? Yeah. They're, they're not – they're – beneath the Daleks. Humans are beneath the Daleks. And of course the Doctor gets himself captured, you know, snooping around, because that's what happens to the Doctor. I have to say, though, I, I enjoy uh, John Pertwee in this. I, I think he did a great... Oh, yeah. No, he's great. Um, it, he... He is the Doctor that, at this point, at least during the point where we were doing our top five Doctors episode was my least favorite of the Doctors, which I know is mm. a weird thing to say for some people. <laughs> I'm not sure where he falls on my list now, but I definitely appreciate and like him more than I than I did back then. Um, he still may be down at the bottom, but that's because... That's well, like... You can safely say he's in your top 13. But a bunch. <laughs> for, for me, it's almost like picking my favorite Star Wars movie. I'm like, I like Star Wars. Well, which one? All of them. You know. What's who's your favorite Doctor? The Doctor. Well, which one? All of him. Whichever um, one I'm watching today. Exactly. You know. <laughs> it's almost like that. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I have grown to have a greater and greater appreciation of of him as the Doctor, though. Indeed, and he's very fashionable. Um, that's not even what I like about him. I like the personality. Oh, yeah. I know. He's, <laughs> he's quirky. He He's, you know, always got, you know, his tongue firmly planted in his cheek. You know, it's like, you know, he's he, very tongue in cheek. He has this very, very, very uh, subtle way of always walking that, that fine line of almost coming off flirtatious to people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But not, right? You know, <laughs> right? The doctor is, of course, being questioned by you know, a guard uh, about why he's there and what's going on, and uh, a work manager orders the guard and all the ogrons away. And turns out that this this work manager is allied with these rebels, the guerrilla rebels. And he's trying to find out information from the doctor about what's going on. Unfortunately, the controller shows up right then and um, yeah. threatens the the uh, work manager about the quotas. And the doctor, then, uh, the controller then apologizes for the treatment of the doctor and takes him away okay. back to the control center for some rest and relaxation. This is the point where I kind of felt sorry for the, the manager, you know, because... Mm-hmm. It was almost 
it was almost te- telegraphed. You know, this guy's going to die. Yes. You know, uh, and because as soon as the doctor is taken away by the controller, he tries to contact his rebel allies and gets himself shot by the guard that was doing the questioning earlier. Yeah. And because of the, the statements that were made just prior to this, and this doesn't normally happen to me in these stories, but it did this time. I'm thinking about this guy's kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because he just got his family threatened like 30 seconds before this happens, you know? Mm. And and so this is one of those rare times when I'm thinking, this guy had a family. This is not cool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and this character's on screen for all of two minutes. Yeah. You know, if but that... It, but it made he made you care about the character in that short of a time, and it also made you sort of really realize what sort of a position these rebels are in. They're mm. severely underfunded and undermanned, and they have you know almost no hope of actually succeeding in their efforts. The controller reunites the doctor and Joe and hopes to try and convince the doctor that the rebels are the enemy and that. Life on Earth is good, despite the Ogrons running around all over the place. The Doctor, of course, reveals his hand and says, I know the Daleks are really in charge. And he gets very irritated and upset about the work camps and the Ogrons as guards and soldiers. Um, You were going to say something? The controller in the story, uh, I found it kind of interesting. At the beginning he came off uh, almost snake-like to me in his, you know, with his beady little eyes and his, you know, uh, his, he just, he has this slyness to him, this, you know, this, he almost feels like, how do you put it, sinister, you know, kind of, kind of uh, manipulative, kind of slimy, you know, type character. And then the more the doctor talks to him throughout the story, the more you start to see the little hints of his humanity kind of coming back to the surface. You realize what sort of a pathetic character he really is. Yeah. He didn't didn't start out that way, though. No. No, he didn't. But then as it goes on, as the doctor continues to talk to him, and you realize just how much of the controller's will has been taken from him Mm -hmm. by the Daleks. Controller leaves. The doctor fully explains the situation to Joe, who goes, "Oh, oops!" Um, <laughs> and the two of them stage an escape, uh, and we get a nice little chase sequence where they grab uh, basically a, a an ATV, a three wheeled ATV, and uh, take off through the fields with a horde of ogrons behind them. And this was another instance where the original versus the special edition had a big gap uh, because in the special edition um, they take off on this thing and uh, I was looking at one of the behind the scenes videos earlier and they were talking about how the only reason why this three-wheeler uh, or they, they called it a trike the only reason this was even in the episode at all was because Anytime John Pertwee got an opportunity 
to drive some type of a new vehicle, he <laughs> wanted it to be in the episode. <laughs> and so because he's he was like this huge uh, automotive uh, you know fan and and he he loved anything that would go fast and 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 uh, you know uh, look cool and so he wanted this to be in the episode but they were laughing about it because they said that you know you could you could turn the, the throttle on this thing wide open and it's still from a distance. It looked like it was going three miles an hour, you know? <laughs> and so they said that they had to shoot it in such a way so that the Ogrons, uh, were looked like they were chasing this thing faster than they were actually moving. So that it, it was, the whole thing was an illusion, yeah. you know? And so in the, in the original, you don't have any, visible you know bolts being fired or anything like that all you have laser bolts yeah all you have is sound effects and so you're you know the doctor's driving around and he looks like he's driving in circles being chased by gorilla people you know that are just kind of you know they look they they're going through the motions of running but they're they're like running really slow you know and mm-hmm. so it's very anticlimactic, you know, but then when they did the special edition, you got all these laser bolts blasting everywhere, you know, explosions and it, the whole thing just has a completely different feel to it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it actually looks like a chase scene as opposed to just, you know, this four, this three wheeler riding around in circles with monkey people chasing it, you know, and, <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, the the special edition did uh, a lot of good for this scene uh, in comparison is on the visual front, you know. Now, I will say this, and this is a this is a nitpick that I have. Okay. Some of the music in this story bothered me. How so? Because, like, for example, in this particular scene, if they had had this really, you know. Uh, prominent kind of you know, kind of booming drum music and all of this, you know, this scene would have felt really dynamic and really, you know, you know, like he was really trying to get away and all of this. But instead, the music is like, you know, it's almost like you're playing a Mario game or something, you know, it's it's very downtrodden, you know, it's it's kind of almost like a, an eight bit video game type music almost in the feel of, mm-hmm. it, you know, not in the, not in the sound of it, but in the feel of it, you know? And, right. and so I was like, that music completely takes me out of the scene, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Cause it, it just felt like, you know, it felt like there was no, no power to the, to the music in the scene. Like there was no, no depth, no, no thick fullness, you know, like there should be in an action scene, you know? And, and so it just kind of took me out of it. Well, there's until you start getting into the eighties. Yeah. The music of the show is unique, but not overly uh, rich. Mm -hmm. And particularly with the third doctor, um, it's very much, uh, electronically synthesized. Yeah. 
and so you'll you'll hear a lot of that. But this uh, could have really benefited from some type of a symphonic, you know, heavy drum type, you know, beefy kind of sound in the music. It could. But they were doing so much with the special edition of this anyways, they probably would like, <laughs> let's leave some things untouched. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, it was the same music in both of them. And, and right. if I have to, I mean, let's be honest, we can't like 100% of everything, right? Right. So, you know, I, if I have to, if I have to make a complaint, that's going to probably be my biggest complaint is the fact that some of the music in this just didn't feel like it matched the tone of what they were trying to accomplish in the scene. I can understand that. Of course, the doctor's captured again, and the Daleks realize that he does not look like any of the previous doctors that they have encountered. And so in order to confirm that this is in fact the doctor, they submit him to their mind analysis machine that is apparently a very painful device. It looks like, at least on the doctor, um, he seems almost paralyzed by it uh, to an extent when you see him in the machine. And of course, we get one of these sequences where the the doctor is laying there on the table, hooked up to the machine, and there's a screen up above him that shows his previous faces. I thought that was really cool. It was cool. Um, and while... And they had updated the pictures. While the original version had, you know, pictures from the first and second Doctors, mm-hmm. the the special edition had updated that were crisper and a little bit um, more appropriate for for the show. I um, think the screen was updated, too. Yeah, it was. Uh, most of the screens in this were updated. <laughs> um, if not all of them. But... Uh, Confirming that this is, in fact, their hated enemy, the Doctor is uh, will be exterminated, the Daleks declare. Yeah. Of course, he's saved from an unlikely source. The Controller interrupts, insisting that they don't kill him. And when they ask why, he says, well, he had contact with the traitorous uh, work manager and had contact with the rebels. He could have information that we need about them. I felt like he had an ulterior motive. You think? Yeah, because you know, even even before I saw any more of the episode, I felt like that the doctor had kind of gotten under his skin with with his uh, brazenness, I guess you'd say, against Mm -hmm. the Daleks, and I think that he wasn't used to seeing people be that willing to stand up against the things that he was most afraid of. He then is able to secure the doctor and Joe's release into his custody. Uh, and he tries to explain to the doctor his position and why he's doing what he's doing, because he doesn't think the Daleks can be destroyed or defeated. So he's been working within the system to try and make things better for humanity from the inside is what he says. Uh, the doctor, of course, says that you could have done more and saved more people by fighting the Daleks. Yeah. But the controller insists that they can't be defeated at all. At the same time as this is going on, the rebels have decided to raid the Dalek 
headquarters and try and rescue the Doctor and Joe. Because the Doctor is such a staunch enemy of the Daleks. They attack the complex, kill some of the guards, and they rescue the Doctor and Joe, leaving the controller unharmed at the Doctor's uh, insistence. This is when we cut back to 20th century. Sir Reginald Stiles has returned with the delegates to Otterly House. Uh, of course, the Brigadier has beefed up security and there's unit soldiers all over the place to protect the, the delegates. But there was that one... They forgot to check the basement. <laughs> they did. Because there's that one rebel that was at the beginning... And when everybody scattered, he just hid in the garden. He's yeah. still there. He stayed in the 20th century. And he is bent and determined to continue on the mission and assassinate and destroy Sir Reginald Stiles. And I think and it's really he... interesting the way that they told this. They, they set this up so that you would forget about this guy mm-hmm. while the rest of the story was going on. And you would not remember him until you got to this point. I yeah, thought, I thought that was pretty, pretty, you know, well done on their part, uh, because it was done very intentionally. It was, it was, and the way that he decides to go about this is he's got a Dalekanium bomb that he's going to set off in the basement of Otterly House and wipe out Styles and the rest of the delegates. Now. We finally get to the reasoning behind why these rebels want to kill Styles. They say that he is the one that blew up the delegation and started World War III. And after the terrible wars that ensued, the Daleks came in and took over Earth. And so they want to kill Styles before he's able to destroy the delegation. I do think it's interesting to point out um, that the Daleks very clearly say that this is the second time that they have invaded Earth. Mm-hmm. However, in the timeline of Earth, this actually comes prior to the Dalek invasion of Earth storyline from the first Doctor. Mm-hmm. Does it? Yeah, they 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 very clearly say that they rewrote time when they oh, that's it, right. when they invaded uh, the Earth the second time. Oh yes, they did rewrite time. Yeah, um, at an earlier point uh, yeah. by coming back at an earlier point. Yes, that is true. Um, and so I thought that was kind of a, a wibbly wobbly timey wimey thing, you know. Yes, <laughs> that is true. And so the the rebels convinced the Doctor to try and ensure that their mission is a, is a success. The Doctor is not convinced, however, that Styles is the real culprit. But he agrees to go back to the 20th century because that's where the answers will lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, before he leaves, he deduces that there is a third rebel still there who had the bomb. And he's like, you've put yourself in a temporal paradox because you set off the bombs that destroyed the delegation. Because... Uh, the the guerrillas didn't realize that the delegation was coming in that day. Yeah. And so they're <laughs> the ones that caused their own war in a very temporal 
paradox, wibbly yeah. wobbly, timey wimey sort of way. The the uh, the the I guess the best way to describe this as a paradox is that uh, once this uh, happened the first time, it put them in a loop that would not end unless some outside force was able to come in and change it. Right. Uh, you know, that outside force, of it's course, being the doctor. sort of that bootstrap paradox situation where, you know, it happened one time and that one time then caused an infinite loop uh, rotation of this event having to happen. I love it when they play with the, uh, the whole um, idea of would this have happened you know, if this had not happened or did this happen because this happened or, you know, I, I, I think that's it's very clever uh, storytelling, I think. Yeah, it is cool. The Daleks have given the controller one final chance to capture and eliminate the doctor or excuse me, exterminate the doctor. Exterminate. <laughs> um, <laughs> exterminate. <laughs> Me, Nate, extra, <laughs> me, Nate, extra, me, Nate. Oh, those voices. That's how the Daleks sounded in the original version. Yeah. Uh, every sure. single syllable was spaced out and very clearly defined. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the way we, we hear the doc, the Daleks talking before or after this, you know, this was very distinctly different. Yeah. Um, which is one reason why we are so happy <laughs> that they got Nicholas Briggs to come and redub the Dalek voices um, in a style that is much of the the time period there. So um, it's a it's a nice blending. Mm-hmm. But Nicholas Briggs, of course, is the the actor who does the voice of the Daleks now. Uh, for those who are wondering, the controller. Uh, sets up an ambush in the tunnels because that's where the Doctor and the Rebels will head uh, in order to get back to the 20th century. The Doctor and Joe go back to the tunnels, are ambushed by the Controller and some Ogrons. The Doctor pleads with the Controller, saying that he can prevent the war and stop the Daleks from ever invading. The Controller orders the Ogrons to leave, saying he can handle the situation, and then allows the Doctor and Joe to escape. Unfortunately for him, the lead guard that we've seen a couple of other times um, is hiding just around the corner as witness to everything. Of course, this does not end well for the controller, who <laughs> uh, is ratted out by this guard. The controller has one final defiant moment where he says, I have exterminated you all. I've helped to exterminate you all by letting the doctor escape. Um, yeah. This, of course, is not taken well by the Daleks who proceed to exterminate him. He doesn't even try to run. He just stands there and takes it. Yep. He has yep. finally found his courage. But the Daleks decide that they need to personally get involved to stop this. And so they and some Ogrons head back to 20th century Earth. And this is where we finally get a big battle sequence. We get a big battle sequence. The Daleks and the Ogrons come out of the tunnels and they head to Alderley House. The Doctor and Joe convince the Brigadier to evacuate the house. And it's great because um, Sir Reginald Stiles, 
is very adamant that they should stay at the house. And uh, <laughs> the brigadier gets to basically put a top politician in his place, um, <laughs> which is always nice to see. Uh, the, the brigadier takes so much crap from these politicians at times that when it's a situation like this and he gets to put them in their place, he relishes it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say, I, I understand this guy's supposed to be a diplomat, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't come off at any point in the story as being diplomatic at all. He comes, well, at least not, you know, not to his own military. He, anyways. Comes, he comes off, uh, you know, even at the beginning of the story, he comes off as haughty and, 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 uh, uh, snooty and and just very condescending to the doctor. You know, he does the same thing with the brigadier. It's like he thinks he's the smartest man in the room at all times. And, right. you know, you, you look at this guy and you're thinking, are you sure we should be sending this guy as a diplomat to try to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> because I don't like this guy, you know? <laughs> Oh, oh man, <laughs> that's I'm funny. sorry. It's just the way that I thought about it, you know. No, no, that <laughs> makes 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 it's, an interesting point. This guy might actually start World War Three, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Uh-oh. the uh, the doctor <clears throat> and Joe convince the brigadier to evacuate the house, <laughs> and while the evacuation is going. Uh, the doctor runs down into the basement to find Shura, who is the final uh, rebel still in the 20th yeah. century, and explains the situation to him. Shura says that Dalekanium is the only, you know, the only thing that can kill the Daleks, and so he's going to sacrifice himself and set off the bomb. See the irony here, right? It's also mm. the the armor that protects the Daleks as well. It is. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like they use Dalekanium for everything, you know? They do. <laughs> they do. Um, and so the doctor tells the brigadier to have the troops fall back, and they do, leaving the house empty, allowing the Daleks and the Ogrons to... Uh, go into the house where Shura then detonates the bomb, destroying all the Daleks and Ogrons. And himself. And himself. Yeah. And the house. <laughs> Big cloud of smoke. Yep. <laughs> and then and then the diplomat standing there going, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> The doctor looks at him like, well, you see, you should have listened to me. (laughs) And the doctor then informs Stiles that the peace conference has been saved and it's up to Stiles and the other delegates to make sure it succeeds. Uh, Stiles says, of course, we know what will happen if we fail. And the doctor and Joe say, yeah, we've seen what happens if you fail. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a good way to end it. (laughs) And it, it just ends there. And that's where it ends. Um, <laughs> oh, I could, I could actually, I could hear Peter Capaldi saying that at the end. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, there's, 
my love of Peter Capaldi definitely has me appreciating me appreciating a lot more of the third doctor because there's <laughs> definite elements that Capaldi takes from John Pertwee and it's not just fashion choices <laughs> is that velvet coat you know it, oh. Pertwee rocks the velvet coat I'm sorry he just does he does he does not quite and, digging on the, the collar you know, with the ruffles or whatever, but you know, the, the co- ruffled collar and, and his, and his frilly, uh, sleeves too. Yeah. I'm not digging on the shirt, but I, I, I dig the velvet coat. Yeah. yeah. And then of course he's got the, the big old cape that he wears too. Um, that, that I swear John Pertwee just loves looking ridiculously stylish. One of those, uh, jackets that he wears actually looks like something that a classic Sherlock Holmes would wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And the third doctor has the most variations of his costume of any doctor. Uh, he's got about five or, you know, at least five different jackets and three different capes uh, throughout his the, run. The green one, I'm not quite as crazy about. It's not, that's not the most flattering green, you know, <laughs> just saying. He's got sort of a velvet, uh, like a purplish red velvet coat this episode, which is nice. Yeah. But yeah. So what did you think of, of our first exposure to the Daleks in the third Doctor era? I liked the special edition much better than the original. <laughs> um, Me too. <laughs> uh, I, well, I thought that, that it better portrayed the, the Daleks in the way that they were supposed to be portrayed, you know. Um, I thought that they, they felt much more menacing, um, in the special edition, um, because of the fact that they, they had a more menacing voice and, and everything. And I, to me, that one element of changing those voices added a whole nother layer to those characters, you know, mm-hmm. that, the, the original voice to me just made them almost laughable, you know? Yeah. Uh, especially when you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, okay, you can get the word out. Come on. You you can say the syllable, you know? <laughs> uh, I know. Okay. You, you can, you know what you're going to, okay, say it, say it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it just felt like it was going to take them forever to say anything you know <laughs> and i am going oh my god i'm getting headache you know <laughs> yeah it's oh well, it's it was rough it was rough trying to uh, get through their first attempt at a at dialogue in this in this show <laughs> and, and was, they, they even sync the new voices up with the lighting on the head and everything too so that was pretty mm-hmm. cool you know yeah yeah no they they definitely get it right with the special <laughs> edition and the voices so um, um now i something else that i i mentioned to you before we started i really liked the fact that they put the 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 death rays and stuff in this, in the special edition, you know, it felt mm. very much like the the later episodes, uh, you know, with the Fifth Doctor, Sixth Doctor, Seventh Doctor, and then New Who uh, as well. You know, 
Um, I wish that they would go through all of the Dalek episodes and put the death rays back in on all of those because it really adds something when when you see that all match up like that. Yeah. There, it, it's definitely more dynamic visually with the special edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that definitely elevates this story beyond what it was originally. And especially when you see like the, the part at the end where the controller gets shot and you, you see his skeleton showing through and everything. And it just feels like that there was more of a loss there to me than just seeing like a flash of light and he just falls down, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, or just seeing them take their gun and, you, you know, blow air out of the end of it, flick, 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 and then he just falls down dead, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it To me, those little bitty elements add so much to the, the way the story gets told. So, um, at the end of the day, how many Daleks would you rate this? Are we rating the, the special edition or the original? Uh, well, since you and I both really like the special edition, let's rate the special edition. Or we can rate both. But I just say special edition, because that's the one that I think, in my opinion, folks, yeah, is the better version yeah, it definitely of this is. story. Definitely is. I'm going to rate it... Uh, I mean, I've definitely seen better, but I've definitely seen worse. You know, uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to rate it about a, about a seven. Okay. Out of seven. Okay. Um, for its for its time, um, it it is it's a good story. Uh, I think it was definitely enhanced by the special edition, but it's not one of the most dynamic of the stories. No. Uh, and so for that reason, I think I'm going to rate this one. Oh gosh. I want to be different from you, but seven is <laughs> kind of like the perfect. I I don't want to give it a six and a half because I think that's too low. And I don't want to give it an eight because that's being too generous because I just like the special effects so much better. That's exactly edition. what I was thinking when I said seven. And so <laughs> I, it's going to be somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half. So I'll just split the difference and say seven. The original cut for me gets a five. Wow. That's how much of a difference I think the special edition made in this yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and that it's has definitely... nothing to do with John Pertwee. It has nothing to do with the actors. It has something to do with the overall uh, effect that the uh, execution the ex- had, you yeah, know, in the, the special the effects and things like that. So, yeah, and it <laughs> makes the Daleks the Daleks and not some right. sort of right Dalek M. Pastor. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, it's me. not the it's not the the not the last time that they got the Daleks wrong though. So, you know. And of course, we, we'll get to that eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that'll wrap up our discussion on Day of the Daleks. Our next episode, we will continue our Dalek episode reviews with our review of Planet of the Daleks. We'll be giving you sort of a brief. A very brief synopsis of Frontier in Space, because that leads directly from Frontier in Space into Planet of the Daleks. Um, But we will be discussing primarily just Planet of the Daleks. 
uh, next episode because that focuses on the Daleks. Frontier in Space, more of a master episode. Yeah, they're actually sort of kind of the same story, like a part A and a part B. But because they are enough self-contained, I agree with Jason. We should do them separately because Frontier in Space is almost completely the master. Yeah, definitely. So we'll be doing Planet of the Daleks next, another third Doctor uh, Dalek episode. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode, Paul? They should bring K-9 back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Of course, if you want to let us know your thoughts on Day of the Daleks or Planet of the Daleks or anything to do with Daleks or anything to do with Doctor Who, please, by all means, uh, interact with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter handle is at Talking Time Lord. And our email is TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Our TARDIS on the internet uh, is our main base of operations. Our website is TalkingTimeLords.com. And there you can, of course, listen to all of our previous episodes and see some of the great uh, artwork that Paul is putting together for these episodes. Um, Thank you very much. No, you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I think that will wrap up this episode. Don't forget Unless... to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh. Yes, please. Okay, uh, I'm just going to throw this out here, guys. We've been doing this for over six months, and we've only got two. Two! <laughs> <laughs> on iTunes. Yes, please rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. We need the help. <laughs> yeah, yes, we need help. Help is definitely the right term. We need some help. The, 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 help. More, the more we get ratings and reviews the more our name gets put uh out there for people to find us so uh we we want to build a community we want to get as many listeners as we can and that's the only uh the only way that we can uh build our notoriety on like itunes and stitcher and things like that so Mm -hmm. yes and we do want to have a community and we do want to get your responses involved with our shows um it's just hard to do that if we don't have any responses because nobody knows about us. <laughs> um, well, not nobody. Well, we are getting downloads, but you guys know about us. But you know, we want other people to know about you. You know, this is just as much as you do. So exactly. But I think that wraps up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number thirty-one, Day of the Daleks story review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
Exterminate! <laughs> Exterminate! Uh. Exterminate! Uh. <laughs>